Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and our favorite app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. Hopefully, you used it for March Madness rounds one, two, and three. I hate that round one thing. Uh, go to SeatGeek.com slash BS to start using SeatGeek. Don't forget to download the free SeatGeek app and our promo code BS. You get 20 bucks upon your first purchase. Today's episode is also brought to you by our friends, The Starters. That's Skeets, Taz, Trey, and Lee. They break down the NBA every week on NBA TV and on their Friday podcast, The Drop. Head to NBA.com slash The Starters for clips, social media, links, all kinds of stuff. Uh, these guys know their hoops, and they are Canadian heroes. The Starters, every week on NBA TV. Finally, today's podcast is brought to you by new, my new website, The Ringer. Subscribe to our newsletter at TheRinger.com. I think we've done... I don't know, five of them at this point. Just get it, for God's sakes. Jesus. All right, we're off. Yeah. Clear enough for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Ah, that's better. We're Monday rolling. Can you picture us rolling? House is... We're Jamaica rolling. House is in Jamaica. This is the first time we've yeah. done a podcast uh, in Jamaica. And we're going to have... I don't know. It sounds like about one third of a second of a delay, so we'll try not to interrupt each other. House, were you able to watch college basketball while you're on the uh, beautiful beaches of Jamaica? I was. I got to see a ton of yesterday's games, and yesterday's games, I think, were superior to the the Saturday games. Ended up all being chalk, right? Yeah. Like yesterday had yesterday the, was. Yeah, it had the the biggest the biggest collapse I've ever seen in a basketball game. I have no long-term memory anymore for just individual games I've watched. And apparently there was a Duke game that was really bad, all this stuff. I've just never seen a team fall apart like that, not being able to inbound the ball. Poor no than Iowa. Oh, my God. They showed Kurt Warner celebrating, and then it just fell apart in like a minute. Holy mackerel. It looked like us trying to break a press in intramural basketball at the last 45 seconds. Yeah. I don't know how much – the guy who got hurt, how much that rattled them, Halloran, whatever his name was. But uh Yeah. It it uh it was just insane. It it, it was and then the foul, they're they're down five, the guy drives in, bounces off somebody, but not really. They get the three point play. That's when I was like, Oh no. Cause you, you, you I didn't, didn't like the call. Oh, it was a bad. The, I mean, you forget how bad the college basketball refs are until you watch March Madness and it's you just true. see see it over and over again, calls being blown. But, uh, but man, that was tough. I, I think that's I, – I mean, granted, round two, it's not like they're going to win the title or anything. But just on the face of it, that has to be the most devastating collapse in less than 45 seconds in the history of basketball, right? The Spurs heat, I guess the, well, the, the stakes were so much higher with Spurs heat, but it was a five-point game. You know, it wasn't wrapped up. No, and that's, that's professional basketball. It's so much harder to come back in college basketball – because of fewer timeouts and uh, you have to go the full length of the floor. You don't have the benefit of, you know, inbounding from half court. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's, it is utterly unprecedented that um, uh, A&M came back that way. And it required, you know, several steals right under the basket I know. for A&M to even be within <laughs> shouting distance. You're lucky you get like two of those. I was excited that your son, your son house, the other house, the one you, you don't talk oh, Daniel. about. Daniel House, who um, went, went, sometime at Holy Cross, it was a one-nighter. No, it was, um, 
No, I love when anytime there's a anytime there's a house, I always subconsciously root for the house. And then my kids love that Flo Rida song, My House. And at one point, Flo Rida says Joe House. But I think he meant Yo House, but he's like Joe House. But it sounds like Joe House. So I always feel like he's calling you out. Or maybe he loves we the might podcast. Have to work that into- you might have to work that into one of these rollings. You might have to roll with some Flo Rida. Flo Rida calls, that. yeah, he calls out Joe House. They're in my house. That's that's, that's very friendly. The one takeaway for me of that that game, um, that Northern Iowa game, it was a very helpful reminder: never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, ever gamble on college basketball. Ever, not ever. I I actually ever. sat out never. this year. I didn't put in one college basketball bet those first couple rounds. And meanwhile, our friend cousin Sal we, had the well, North. He had the Northern Iowa money line. He he said it. This it, makes you want to kill yourself. He said it was flat out the worst loss of his life. It's flat out. I, I, it's tough to argue with that. How? how what, what other? What, what could possibly rival it? I have to Maybe admit. Maybe one of those football games, the uh, the Golden Tate fake touchdown a couple of years ago for Seattle. Maybe. I don't know. The Green Bay, Seattle. I don't know. I think Music City Miracle is still the worst gambling loss of all time. If you had the Bills in that game. You had the Bills money line. Yeah. And you lost on just a crazy lateral, like the whole thing. And then it didn't seem like it was a legal pass. I, that's got to be number one because that had to have had the most people betting on it, right? So it's a wild card playoff game. Yeah, the thing, we, you and I both did bet in this tournament. We bet on Holy Cross, the money line against Southern. That's the only circumstances under which it, it, it makes any sense at all to bet. You just bet with your heart on, on your team. Uh, make a silly bet. Be prepared to lose the money and get on with your life. Yeah, I don't count, I don't feel like that was an actual gambling moment. We just supported our team. And by sure. the way, we won. So hey, that, we won. Yeah, that was great. Uh, yeah, college basketball, never bet on it. Don't, Especially, like, if you at any point in your life do a college basketball tease or parlay. You oh, need, my God. I mean, I, I people have argued that I have a gambling problem. Even I don't do that. I would never do a college <laughs> basketball tease slash parlay anything. You got to be an insane person. Um, well, and we're in an era now where – there is really true parity among these among these teams. There really is no difference from from two to fifteen seeds. It's still the case that the one to sixteen, um, none of those games were close for even a second. But once you start playing twos and fifteens, there is tremendous parity. I watched all of Oregon St. Joe's last night. Yeah, there was no difference between those teams. The one kid from Oregon made two big threes at the end, but but St. Joe's was right there the entirety of that game. I couldn't tell you with any certainty that I, that Oregon was the better team of the, of those two. Yeah. We never did a, a, a pre madness, like mega podcast preview or anything that my big takeaway was, or just going into it was it did feel like it had a chance to resemble that year that George Mason made it. I think we've talked about, we talked about that on the podcast a couple of years, that weird George Mason year where like the best players in college basketball were Adam Morrison and JJ Redick. And you, everyone was just prepared for weirdness. And and this year well, felt the, the, the same Florida way. The Florida team was still there. That yeah, I, I talked over you, but that, that the Florida team was still there. Florida no, I just meant had... I meant just in general. Like <laughs> it was this feeling that weird shit was going to happen, you know. Yeah, and you're yeah, right. There's yeah. no Florida team this year, but um, I I like that's why I thought Holy Cross had a chance to beat Oregon. As as crazy as that sounds, um, I didn't think they had a good chance, but it didn't feel like Oregon was a real one seed. I didn't feel like they were intimidating. No. I... 
they they proved that last night. They were very unimpressive to me last night. The whole Pac-12, what a you know, the Pac-12 got all these high seedings and completely underwhelming the entirety of the tournament. Well, one thing usually um the one thing I look for to decide how weird the tournament's going to be is how many, you know, kick-ass lottery picks there are and usually there's a couple teams that are just stacked and you know, you look at Michigan State gets upset in round one, which nobody saw coming. Everybody liked them, just more because of the Izzo track record than anything. But sure, it's not like that team was loaded with future pros. You know, we always talk, we talk about this every year. The team, at least one of the teams that ends up playing on Monday, is always a team that has guys that go on to do stuff. You know, and that Michigan State team, like, they didn't have that ringer. That's why I think Maryland's interesting because I think Diamond Stone is absolutely a lottery pick, and Melo's good, and, they, you know, they're, you, you got to be feeling good about Maryland. Well, you left out my boy Lehman, yeah. who is the guy who's, whose stock has risen the most because he's had some terrific shooting um, games the last, uh, at least two of the last three. He's been, like, 60% fr- from three. He might have played himself into the first round. I don't. I think I would love for Mello to stay in school one more year. And the Maryland team, uh, something happened. Some, there's something about like what's going on behind closed doors with with that team. They have really underwhelmed and underperformed. But here they are in the Sweet 16, up against Kansas, and they have all the talent in the world, Maryland. Um, and they can run teams off the floor in the first round of the big 10 tournament they played wisconsin they ran wisconsin off the floor now wisconsin is different than from kansas i don't mean to uh, compare the two but if maryland's making threes there's nobody that they cannot beat it's weird it's a weird draft because i mean it's a weird tournament without these big guns like ben simmons just not being in it it's crazy. Like Dragon Bender is going to be the number three pick in the draft. He's not in it. Jalen Brown was supposed to be a top five pick. He's out. Um, Polte, Chipolte on Utah, who I really liked, who I talked myself into, got his ass kicked by Sabonis' son Sabonis. this weekend as uh, as our dude Jonathan Charks uh, laid out in the Ringer newsletter today. It was, it was a one-sided Creed Drago ass kicking. And now I think Polte is out of the top He's at least out of the top six. Um, but you just yeah, I have two, two. Go ahead. No, I, but like Chad Ford's big board right now, he's got Ingram one. He's got Jamal Murray two. He's got Jalen board, Jalen Brown three, and Chris Dunn four. I mean, Ben Simmons is obviously in this too, but Buddy, Buddy Come has on. it. Buddy has a chance to play himself in the top three here with a couple more big games. So that's get, one. That was one of the observations I wanted to make. Yeah. Buddy has been delivering the goods. He's been, I've loved him I, since that Kansas game that went how many over however many overtimes that was a double overtime game. Yeah, he he is just a baller. The dude has heart. He wants the ball at the end of the at the end of games. He demands it, and then he delivers. Twenty nine points yesterday in the second half. I love me some Buddy. Well, he also he he he's not just like a college scorer. He does. He'll have a couple shots during the course of a game that are just NBA shots. Like he had one yesterday. He he drove down to the right, little past the foul line, kind of up faked, and then just did kind of a really in control turnaround fifteen footer. It was a fucking NBA shot. It was like this guy. That, yeah, I- that's a move that is going to work at the next level. Remember when we were going nuts about Brandon Roy ten years ago, 
And one of the reasons was he yeah. had he had NBA shots and moves in his arsenal already. You could see it, and I yeah, feel the same way about Buddy. Was an NBA. That's right, and and you know I, I said it on one of the podcasts before, and the more I watch him, the more I confirm it back to myself. It may be confirmation bias, but he looks so much like D Wade to me. Oh, interesting. He certainly that move you just described is a D Wade move. Well, and he's an alpha dog. And I don't think Ben Simmons was ever really the same after the game when he went alpha dog to alpha dog with Buddy. I watched that game, and Buddy just pulled his genitals out and was like, here are mine. Let's see yours. And just started making shots and pounding his chest and doing stuff. And and Ben Simmons basically just passed for the last five minutes of the game. That was the uh, first time I, I, That was I, the first I, time it made me ner- the Ben Simmons thing made me nervous. I blame that LSU situation. All right, it that's was a fine. bad situation to start and it ended terribly. The dude couldn't touch the ball. They didn't run they didn't run anything for him and they don't have anything to run for him. I know, it was but a it's clown still, show. That it's, whole exercise. It's still basketball. It's still like I don't care where you are, whether you're playing with an organized game with, with fans and a coach or whether I'm just playing pickup with you. At some point people start taking their balls out and you gotta match it or you or you fade back. And I that's what I didn't like. Buddy's Look, Buddy's balls are out. <laughs> Buddy's like, here are my nuts. <laughs> I'm bringing these it's out buddy, buddy, every buddy time. All in your face. I gotta say, like, it, you know, the the Celts are gonna have like a top five pick, so I, I've been obsessing over everybody and who would fit and what. I, I, I wouldn't mind it. Like, if they end up with the third pick, and they took Buddy, I'm not gonna be like, oh, why the fuck did we take another guard? I'm gonna be like, great, <laughs> but he's scoring at the end of games. Like we have a crunch time guy. We have there him and go. Isaiah Thomas. Like that's a team now. Go stop those two guys at the same time. Like I'd be pumped. That, with good reason. The thing the Celtics are missing is a guy that wants the ball in the last four minutes and that can convert. And there you go. There's his Hold name on. is Buddy. Let me correct you. The the Celts have a guy. He's just five foot nine. We need a guy who's <laughs> who's over five foot nine who also wants the ball. And then if you combine those uh, two. Now we have some magic. And, you know, the other guy that's climbing, and I never understood why he wasn't involved, but Jamal Murray, I think now is is being treated with the respect he deserves and commands because, you know, how many how many guys in the how many NBA teams do we need to see who a guard controls the ball, who can create his own shot and create shots for others? That's the number one commodity you want in basketball right now. It's not a big guy. You want that guy. And that's yeah. why Buddy and Jamal yeah. Murray, I think, are going to climb. Uh, I like Jamal. I, I was, I did, I didn't like that um, Kentucky played Indiana in the second round. I mean, there are lots and lots of complaints to be levied against the selection committee and the arrangement and everything. That was an awesome game, that Kentucky Indiana game. Did yeah. you watch any of it? I taped it. I mean, there was, there was, that was that harkened back to you know some some old era. Teams just going at it. It felt like a game, the kind of game that would be appropriate in the round of eight or final four kind of game. Yeah, and and it was a game that had you know real dudes in it, which which yeah. I wonder like as this tournament goes along, we're going to have games where I don't even know who like the the first round pick's going to be on a couple of these Sweet Sixteen teams potentially. Whereas that game had guys. <laughs> My dad is so out on uh, Labassier. He was, he oh, never, well, Labasi needs to stay in school. He never watched him before. He was like, if we end up with that guy, this whole season's going to be wasted. 
this whole this whole watching Brooklyn Nets games over and over again. It's like that guy, he only gets rebounds if they bounce right to him, and he has no offensive game whatsoever. We can't take that guy. But my dad, it's like if they're gonna take him in June, I think there's gonna have to be paramedics there for my dad. That's uh, true. Your dad's scouting report and is dead on the money. That kid needs to just stay in school. It's fine. It's not so, so criticism. Does, he, he's not yeah. ready yet. So does Jalen Brown. Both of those Jaylen guys. Jalen Brown would be great as, a, as staying another year. 220 pounds, that kid. What a monster. You know who doesn't need to stay in school? Buddy. Come out, buddy. Come to, ready. Come to the NBA. We're ready for you. You're going to be awesome. And, and, you know, there's a couple teams that he would be great with, too. You know, like I think the Celts, him and Isaiah Thomas would be really fun. I think uh, if he somehow ended up in Sacramento, how about that? Oh. Yeah. How about that? Well, the, the problem with Sacramento is, you know, anything is possible. I'm not going to do That's a KG, true. Yeah, there's another cow. stupid trade. How about this? Would you like to see Buddy and uh, Anthony Davis playing together? That would be sensational. That would be terrific. How That's- about the Pelicans? Shutting it down, by the way. Well, they're claiming he had a torn labrum. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I 100% believe it, but maybe he does. But uh, maybe he does. I thought maybe from the get go, from the moment that they started out bad, I thought there was some 97 Spurs potential with them. And yeah, you know, because Robinson could have come back during that season, and they were they smartly said, sure. "Screw this, let's let's be bad." And they ended up in the sixth spot, and they got Duncan. And uh, you know, there's no Duncan in this draft, but I think people forget with that Duncan draft, it wasn't a slam dunk that Duncan was the number one pick. We he was the guy I who wanted. Else, who, oh, you don't remember this? Who was, who was rivaling him? They were. Go, I'm sure they're on the internet. There were some Tim Duncan or Keith Van Horn stories going around in March and April. Oh no! Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, they no. are on Google. You can I, Google those. People were genuinely wondering I don't if Keith it. Van. Oh, they're on there. And and uh, I didn't have a column yet. That was like right before I launched my column, and I was going crazy. It was 1997. I was like, are you – yeah, it was like I launched my uh, – the old sports guy column, I think, in like late May 97. And uh, I was going bonkers that anyone was putting Van Horn versus Duncan. I was like, look, Van Horn, it's, it's fun. It's great. But come on. This is, there's no comparison. Nobody saw that. Anyone who says they knew Duncan was going to play for 20 years and be, um, be an alien, I think uh, – by the way, I'm adding Nowitzki. Yeah, nobody, nobody knows that. I'm adding Nowitzki to the alien, to our alien suspect list. I think Nowitzki might be an alien. He put up 40 last night. It was sensational. All vintage Dirk moves. Too. Yeah, all of them without without like any signs of slippage. It wasn't like uh, you know the breaking down like Kobe having like we're making a couple threes. These were like just Dirk running the Dirk playbook on Portland and succeeding. He is statistically. Um, on par with with any of his great seasons right now. I know. And I, I've been invested in that team, too, because the Celtics have their pick, so I root against them. Sorry, Dirk. Oh. I, Dirk, I love you. You're the greatest. I'm so glad you passed through my life. But uh, if you develop plantar fasciitis right now, I'd be totally happy. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> but uh, if they, cause That's if they, not very nice. No, nah, it's, it's, I, I love having Dirk. It's, it's so tough for me to root against the Mavs when Dirk's doing like an old school Dirk thing. But so I've been watching their games and following them and the whole thing. My dad's obsessing over it. Cause 
if they fall out of the out of the playoffs, it could be like the eleventh pick, right? So Zaza died. I don't know what happened to Zaza. Zaza Zaza's a corpse. Zaza's court. He's like a White Walker. He just died. He had two great months and then he died. And they've been playing David Lee a lot, and it's like all the signs are there for this Dallas collapse, and Dirk's just not letting it happen. He's just not. He's, he's, he's just he's not letting it happen. The problem is if they played Golden State in round one, they're going to lose by forty points a game. So hey, did you see they're that not game? Win one game. Did you see that game? Which Golden State, Golden State uh, San Antonio? Uh, San Antonio. I'll, I'll give you my read. Yeah, it was. It's. It, let's hear it. It's a tough, tough to call that thing. You know, uh, a referendum. Because with Bogut, uh, Iggy, and Azili out, it's, it, it's not really representative of the Warriors. But I, I want your take. I'm interested. So, I thought Golden State really wanted the game. I thought I thought they went all out for it. I think their bench was locked in. I think they really wanted it. I think they wanted to end the streak, even though they were a little undermanned. Uh, most fascinating thing for me was, and I tweeted this during the game, just because I've watched Chris Paul do this to Curry. Like, from the first minute, they're just going to beat the hell out of Curry. And they're going to push him and shove him and bump him and just hands-on all the times, just in his personal space. Um, and they and just— They did that. Yeah, and they and they put the onus on the refs within the first five minutes of the game. Are you going to call this stuff or not? And they either could have called everything— It was or, like it's the way the Patriots used to do that against the Colts, right? Totally. And it's what Chris Paul does every time he plays Steph Curry. He commits all his all his fouls early, and the ref either has to decide, am I going to call this or not? And usually they decide no, and then that's it. It's been established, and you can't reverse it. So they just well, started— Well, they're definitely not going to call him in San Antonio. Right. So they did that early. It worked. It threw him off his game. There's no question he was terrible. And uh, so that was, that was one thing, which I like that the Spurs— I think everybody was kind of like, oh, no, they're not going to show their cards until the playoffs— and Popovich pulled a buddy. He just pulled his genitals out. He's he, like, this is what we're, we're showing everything in this game. Here, Here's what we can do to beat you. And now I think that's got to be in Golden State's head a little bit. They, they definitely sent a message. The thing that I liked, the game was still, uh, you know, undetermined with four minutes left. San Antonio yeah. executed a little bit better at the end. Manu was great and, and Kawhi was great. <laughs> I love it. Tim Duncan played seven minutes. Um and uh, you, you wonder how many games you're going to get both Clay and Steph missing in volume like that. I mean, it was kind of a fluky game. I loved the strategy against Steph. I totally agree with your assessment, and I think it will be um, exciting to see come playoff time. You know, other teams try it, and how Golden State plans to counter it, but. Um, well, Good hold on a second. Spurs, can we Spurs, call the Spurs one of the game too? Can we call out Tate's dude uh, Harrison Barnes? Hey, Say Har- again? I'm going to call out Tate's dude Harrison Barnes for a second. Um, yeah, it's Saturday night. And it's on national TV, and this is one of the biggest regular season games of all time. Just feel free to show up at any point in the game. You, you three guys are up. <laughs> Uh, when you're going for a $200 million contract or whatever this summer. Now he he didn't have a good game either, and they needed him to come through. I don't personally think yeah. – I don't think the Warriors can survive a, Cur- a Curry bad game when they're undermanned um, against a team like San Antonio, which is going to be really one of the all-time great number two regular season teams in a season ever. I don't know what yeah. the complete so list is, but, yeah, they're the second best team 
and yet they're probably like a top 15 regular season team all time when you look at the numbers. So, so it's not really that profound. Like, um, right, so Golden State can't have its best player not have a good game against a historically great um, home team. San Antonio team. Yeah, but yeah. with that said, a couple things jump out, right? One is that the way they defended Curry I think is really important for the playoffs and it's going to become a storyline because I think everybody's going to try to rough him up and defend him that way. And and Steve Kerr will start lobbying the refs, which he should, and he'll start lobbying the league and he'll start talking about how Steph's getting manhandled and that's going to become a running theme. So get ready for that. That will replace Hack well, and and, and a, a corollary on that, it, Bogut's the protector. So we'll see some some good feisty Bogut, also, you know, down under moves. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's an, a corollary I'm looking forward to. So that's one. Um, number two is that um, Lamarcus Aldridge is one of the top twenty players in the league, and you could even argue he might even be in the top fifteen. And San Antonio's ability to reboot an entire era on the fly and usher in a whole new era while keeping all the old guys from the previous era in there. It's only happened one other time in the history of the league with uh, with the, the Red Arback Celtics. And that was a, a league that had eight teams, you know? And it's like, all right, the Kuzi, Heinsohn, Frank Ramsey era is over. Here comes Havlicek and Sam Jones. and Di- Like, this doesn't happen. And they have I'm, done this I'm on the fly. Ready. I don't want to give them the full credit for the full reboot yet because they still have a point guard position to fill. My point is, this era should be over. And when Memphis beat them, yes, that was it. We're moving now on to a yeah. new era. Like this, hey, hey, San Antonio, welcome to what it's like to be a lottery team. And they make that George Hill Kawhi trade, which is now moving up the ladder of great trades in the history of the league. And then. On top of it, pull off the Aldridge thing when everybody thought he was going to, you know, go to the Lakers or wherever. And now they have this new team. Kawhi is one of the best five guys in the league. And Aldridge is still one of the best 15 to 20 guys in the league. And, you know, just really impressive, really amazing. So that was my second takeaway. My third takeaway is Kawhi is now, I tweeted this too, Kawhi has now moved to another level of athleticism. Like he's like, do you feel like he's not getting any loose ball? I just feel like if there's a loose ball, he's getting it. It looks like his arms are ten feet long. Yeah, he's sharktopus. Yeah, Yeah, you tweeted that. Yeah, he's the sharktopus. He He gets he gets every single fifty fifty ball. All of them. He's your he's your hundred ball guy. He uh, he gets a hundred percent of fifty fifty ball. The greatest athlete I've ever seen in person in my life on a basketball court was LeBron in 2008 and 2009. To me, that's the peak yeah. athleticism. I once watched him get a steal at midcourt and take two steps and dunk. Now, apparently Giannis can do this too. I have not seen that in person yet. But LeBron did things I just weren't prepared to witness on a basketball court. And it feels like Kawhi athletically is is kind of... He's already on that kind of new wave Pippin level of athleticism, but he's kind of starting to edge toward that LeBron physical specimen lesson, our, our sure. uh, area, which level level. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of these times playoff series just comes down to who has the best guy. It's at least conceivable that he could be the best guy in a Warriors Spurs Spurs series, right? 
Sure. We, we know he's capable of being the best guy. He is the MVP of the finals two years ago. Right. So he, yeah, he could be the best guy. Sure, he could. But Curry's, Curry's going to be a back-to-back MVP and is clearly the guy in the league. It's just... True. I don't remember going into an MJ series... I, the Lakers series, I guess, when he was going against Magic, you'd be like, oh, you know, who's Magic versus Michael. The next year, people tried to get Drexler versus MJ, which was insulting to MJ, and he ended up almost destroying yeah, Drexler's MJ career. Yeah, MJ personally. And then the next year, it was Jordan versus Barkley, which was really fun for a couple games until Jordan did what he does. And then it was Carl Malone. It's like, no, no, Jordan. So no, I think no, no. I hope Curry start if, – if Curry versus Kawhi becomes a thing – I'll be interested to see uh-huh. if Curry goes into that little MJ, are you kidding me, mode. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. Oh, really? Does he have that mode? I don't know. Draymond Green might have oh. to just just telepathically will him to whatever. Anyway, um, this is going to be an awesome series. And San Antonio, to me, pulled out all their cards and showed that they uh, that they are not going to go away. And they are going to be there. No, that was spectacular. I'm knocking on wood. The thing that I really, really love is they're still playing as though they could be the one seed in the West. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's another aspect of, of them putting all those cards on the table. Like, hey, Golden State, you lose a couple in a row. We are here, fellas. We are here. We will gladly take number one seed and play Dallas in the first round or Utah. You The offensive, Anyhow, I'm, the offensive rebounding, I'm not going to get too bent out of shape about because <laughs> they, the Golden State was missing so many guys. But, you know. Yeah. It is a thing, man. If you if you have Aldridge and you have uh, Kawhi out there and you have a little bit of a size advantage and you're a little bit quicker up front, you're going to get some second chances, and Golden State's going to have to figure that out. I've always felt like teams could offensive rebound on them. Um, I don't I, I don't know well, what the and, numbers and look, say. But. Health is always a big part of the, the composition. If, if Bogut misses a couple more games because of his big toe, yeah. and I don't know what the status of Iggy's sprained ankle is, and I don't know how much longer is Ely supposed to be out, but if, if Golden State slips a little, I mean, the Spurs are right there. I mean, it's I'm great. knocking on wood. You can hear me knocking. I it's don't great. want any injuries. I want these teams to be super healthy. But San it's Antonio's great. right there. You know what? One thing I want to say positive for the Warriors. Look, by the way, this is their seventh loss of the season. Anyone who's like, oh, I don't know about <laughs> Golden State. Like, don't be an idiot. They just didn't play a good game and yeah. they played an awesome team. I love that Clay was posting up a little. I like that he... The very... He, he sucked it up. Very he, interesting. Yeah, he did a little mouse in the house a couple times, which is what I've been dying for him to do for for years. Like, do that. Use your he's advantages. He's got the body for it. Yeah, he's got he's, he's got a nice game. Do it, Clay Thompson. Yeah, do your thing. Maybe uh, he could put. Maybe he's got some buddy. What if he put his buddy out there? <laughs> um, quickly, who wins the NCAA tournament? Just like the buddy. Who wins the NCAA tournament? Who wins the NCAA tournament? North Carolina. Tell Tate not to say anything. North Carolina. No way. Roy Williams, will, he'll mess this up. He'll mess I, this we're, up. We're past the point where coaches um, that make that huge a difference, I think. Right, so, Tom Izzo just lost in the first round. So you're basically saying that North Carolina is going to win the title and then is going to be stripped of it two years later. <laughs> <laughs> you said that, but I don't disagree. So Carolina will win. They'll get to celebrate the title, right, before it gets taken away by the NCAA two years from now or now? Sure, sure. They'll, they'll, they'll hang the flag in there, all of it. They'll hang the banner. It'll be up there for a year and a half. When, when they cut down the nets, could they have a couple of the people that took tests for the players cut down, help cut down the nets? Like, here's Rajiv. <laughs> it takes a village. It takes a village. <laughs> 
who's a here's Rajiv. He took Brace Johnson's poli sci exam. He's gonna cut down the next one. Uh, oh, I love it. I love making fun of Tate about North Carolina. Hey, it's not totally corrupt. They've just only been in a couple of you know major scandals, but it's not that bad. It's not like Patino bad. Um, so North Carolina gets who? I. I don't have the bracket in front of me. Right, I would fine. say Kansas. If that's, I think it lines up that way. North Carolina, Kansas, that's, that would be mine. I mean, very chalky, but those are the teams that look the best and have the best players. So that's my, my very unoriginal, uninspiring pick. Hey, uh, hey House, while you're, um, while you're in Jamaica, I have an idea. I really have an idea. <laughs> Hold on. There's an idea. Oh, here it is. Um, you know, you're in Jamaica. You know what works in Jamaica? Sling TV. Um, oh yeah, college basketball is in full swing. Why? Why do you have to watch some illegal, legal uh, online stream or or watch some TV channel that's cutting out? Or you just get Sling TV. Uh, it's a better, cheaper option. Sling TV is the best way to watch the game live. By the way, I have no idea if Sling TV works in Jamaica. It's just in my head, it would be awesome if Sling TV worked there. Sling TV does work in America uh, for just twenty dollars a month. You get more than 20 live channels, including AMC, Adult Swim, and ESPN. And most importantly, for all of this month, TNT, TBS, and True TV. So you can watch live wow. basketball. Those are the March Madness channels, House. You can also add on channel I packs. Heard that. Yeah, you can add on channel packs like the Sports Extra Package for $5 a month extra. No installation, no extra Done. gear. No annual contracts, no BS. All you need is an internet connection. Uh, start your free seven-day trial at sling.com slash Simmons for the best of live TV on your tablet, phone, laptop, Roku, Fire TV, or Xbox box. Restrictions apply. Sling.com slash Simmons. So, House, try this in Jamaica yeah. and see if it works. It would be awesome if it worked, right? Seven, I'll give it a go. Seven-day free trial. Thing, because I just go online? Sling.com. Yeah. yeah. Sling.com slash Simmons. Okay. Even you Even can I do can this. Yeah. How hard is this? Yeah. Uh, Let's promote your uh, new golf podcast really quickly. How about it? Yeah, we gave you a no golf idea podcast. What the hell happened? Yeah, you have a golf podcast. <laughs> it really is happening. Yeah, you, you and uh, Jeff Shackelford. We're starting it this week. What day is that launching, Tate? Today. Today. We're recording today. Oh, we're recording well, today. We're, we're recording today. Oh, yeah, so we'll probably put it up we're, tomorrow. We're gonna... So uh, tomorrow or Wednesday, it's going up. We hooked up with our friends at Callaway. And we're going to do a podcast that they they were very excited for us to do. And we were and we were like, you know, who knows golf more than anyone I know and who loves golf and who loves golf secretly more than basketball is Joe House. And we did some test. I don't pods. secretly love it more than basketball. I, lo- I love them equally. I, I feel bad for Jeff Shackelford. He's a real accomplished person in the sports media uh, industry. He's been writing and, and, and focusing on golf. I don't know what bet he lost that has him stuck with with me. But I do love the golf. I'm crazy for the golf. And uh, if you look at my inbox right now, three-quarters of it is filled with golf-related emails. Many of those might have to do with golf bets. But, you know, <laughs> that's, that's kind of a thing that I like anyway. I like to gamble, so why not? So I was skeptical. I was like, well, you know, House is my dude. I don't want to, I don't want to let House roam off into the podcast backyard and start roaming around eating different plants and trees. And you roamed into uh, Jeff Shackelford's back, backyard, and we did a couple of test podcasts, and we all liked them. So now you have a podcast, and it's called Shack House. 
I'm excited shack for that house. too. Shack Who house. Want to come have a hot dog and a and a delicious red stripe in the shack house. So the reason we did this was because um, we felt like the golf podcast market was wide open. We had Joe Fuentes looking around, and we were like, "Wow, we could we could actually have an entertaining golf podcast." So. Um, we're going to do it before and after the big majors, the big tournaments, and a couple other times. I think we're doing like 20 or 22 this season. And I am fired up. I'm fired up to have a golf podcast in my life. Congratulations. Shack House. Shack House. I'm fired up, too. I'm excited. I'm going to do my best not to embarrass Jeff. No no promises. Well, I don't think you'll embarrass him. I And, and in fact, Good. I think the golf world needs this podcast. Because I've heard all the other golf <laughs> podcasts. I, it's already the number one golf yeah. podcast. We haven't even recorded one yet. Uh, House, enjoy <laughs> Jamaica. <laughs> we'll talk to you later this week. Legalize it. <laughs> <laughs> See you, buddy. All right, I've been meaning to have this guy on for a while. He is from uh, Sports Illustrated. That's that's he moonlights at Sports Illustrated. He's he's really a a professor and a law expert. And I've enjoyed his sports law columns over the years. And there's just a lot going on in 2016. I feel like this is the year of Michael McCann. Is it fair to say that? Hey, I'll take it, Bill. If you're saying it, it definitely is. Thank you for for uh, even even suggesting that. You're one of the only uh, people who wrote intelligibly about uh, Deflategate on the entire world. So thank you for that. Um, one of the only people who could see through a lot of this stuff. And then you ended up teaching a Deflategate course, right? That's right. Last fall, Bill, at the University of New Hampshire, I taught a Deflategate course that looked at you know, labor, antitrust, some of the science issues, some of the media reporting. Had about 75 students in it. Some local residents audited it as well. It was really a great class, and there was an MIT professor named John Leonard who came to deliver a lecture on the science of Deflategate, and he really debunked the NFL's argument, and, and from that, I think that actually played a big role in how the public has reacted to the story. I don't want to talk about Deflategate because I've spent too much time talking about Deflategate, but just in like 30 seconds, can you explain like how flimsy the NFL's case was and how ridiculous this whole thing is? Well, I think as a starting point, Bill, the science, why did the balls measure the way they did? And can we even know the sequence in which the NFL measured the footballs? And the answer to those questions are, we don't know. The NFL didn't reveal an exponent. The, the company that the NFL used didn't reveal to the Patriots and Brady how the testing occurred. There are discrepancies. And then you have an alternative theory 
that is more persuasive. You have ideal gas law, which looks at air pressure, how temperature affects it. That explains what happened to the footballs. And then secondly, some of the evidence that the NFL has hoisted at the Patriots really isn't that persuasive. There's the one deflator text from May of 2014 that wasn't raised in the context of footballs, and that occurred eight months before a game, the AFC championship game, that no one could have known the Patriots were going to play. And so it takes a real conspiracy theory to get to where the NFL went, whereas it takes basic science to conclude the opposite. And I'm going to go with basic science. So the NFL, when they had the appeals here, there's three judges you had to convince. And everyone's takeaway was like, "Uh uh-oh, the judges kind of seemed like they were leaning toward the NFL. But then as people pick through what the NFL's appeal was, they misrepresented a couple different things in their argument that didn't actually happen. Could that be enough to throw the appeal out? Well, it could definitely make a big difference because there are discrepancies between what the NFL presented during that oral argument. And I was there, I was in the front row watching it, where Paul Clement, who argued on behalf of the NFL, and he's probably the best appellate attorney in the United States, he relayed what Roger Goodell had concluded, where there are discrepancies. For instance, Roger Goodell misrepresented how Tom Brady testified during the arbitration hearing, specifically the reasons that Tom Brady met with John Jastrzemski, who is the assistant locker room person, following the Deflategate allegations. And that's a discrepancy. And then there's a discrepancy about the reference to deflator texts. Now, Paul Clement argues that there wasn't a misrepresentation, but I think, Bill, there are a lot of questions about how the NFL did its fact-finding that for the judges could make a difference. But as you mentioned, you know, the judges during the hearing didn't seem all that skeptical of the NFL. In fact, Judge Shin talked about the case being overwhelming against Brady and the NFLPA. That's not a good sign for Brady, but you never know what's going to happen. And I think there's reason to think that the judges will be skeptical of some of the legal arguments the NFL has made. I'm sure you've read 10 kajillion uh, really super boring legal briefs that um, tried to obscure a couple things over the course of the brief. The Wells report, it seems like all the legal experts who read this said that it was written in a way that just kind of either misrepresented certain things or glossed over other things. Uh, Why hasn't that been picked apart more in this appeal process? Yeah, Bill, there there are a lot of discrepancies about which pressure gauge was being used, how Exponent portrayed which pressure gauge was being used, which is a big thing, right? Because if we don't know which gauge was being used, then we can't rely on the data. And then most people would say, let's throw it out, but that's not what the NFL has done. The reason why the facts haven't played a big part in the appeal is that the federal judges are obligated under federal law to defer to the fact-finding of the arbitrator, and that fact and that arbitrator is Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell, who issued the punishment, who then heard the appeal of Brady, was acting as an arbitrator. And there's nothing technically wrong with that because the Players Association let Roger Goodell have that authority. Whether he should have deferred away from it, given the controversy, is a separate question. But that's the real reason, Bill, is that the judges can't open up the facts. They can't look through the science. They can't do their own studies. They have to take the NFL's evidence as presented by the arbitrator, Roger Goodell, at face value. Do you think he loses his punishment powers over this whole thing? It seems like now, however this plays out, that's probably where we're headed with this, right? Yeah, that's, that's my instinct, too, Bill. I, and look, if you're Roger Goodell, do you want this power? No. You, you 
or right, you don't. Right, you lost Tom Brady. You lost that case. You lost Adrian Peterson. You lost Ray Rice. You basically lost Greg Hardy. And now, and then of course you have the four Saints players, Jonathan Vilma, who were reinstated right. because of an order by form. So you got all these these losses. I, I don't think it's a healthy thing to have. And if you're Roger Goodell, I mean, focus on the good stuff. Focus on the money you're making for the NFL. Focus on the increase in franchise values. There's a good narrative for him, but it isn't through player conduct matters. Yeah, my personal feelings aside, his job is to work for the 32 owners and try to make them as much money as possible and and try to make sure that the public perception of the league is disseminated a certain way. Um, I don't know how player punishment... He seems to, he initially seemed, you know, the way he treated, I used to joke, he was like the sheriff. He's coming in, like, things got things got out of hand on Tagliabue's watch. I'm going to come in. I'm going to fix this stuff. And I think he overshot, and I don't think he's good at discipline. He's just not. They've had, when you've had, like, 10 major things and you've screwed up six of them, then you're not good at that, and there should be an independent party. And I also don't see... All the stuff they've done just seems like it's antagonized the players' union and the players in so many different ways. Like, why do you want to antagonize your labor force like that? Why do you want to have this witch hunt slash smear campaign against one of the five best players who's ever played your sport? I just don't understand it. Yeah, and Bill, it's bizarre to go to court over this, right? It's clear federal judges don't like the system. Judges who are arguably conservative or liberal, none of them like this power that the commissioner has because it's not something that's really suitable in our legal system. We don't have an appellate judge also be the trial judge who also decides the punishment. It's just this weird uh, arrangement of duties that doesn't match with our expectations. And look, Roger Goodell is not an attorney. He's the only commissioner of the major four that doesn't have a legal background that doesn't disqualify him. But to me, if there's one commissioner who shouldn't have this power, it's him. Give it to Adam Silver much more thoughtful, deliberate, an attorney by trade, yet it's the one commissioner who doesn't have that background, who has this power. It seems to be the exact opposite outcome. Well, I promise we'd only talk to Flake 8 for a minute, and we went like 8. So I'd like to apologize to my (laughs) listeners. Uh, Let's talk about Gawker and and Hulk Hogan. So Hulk Hogan wins $115 million, which is just a crazy amount. I I, I just didn't even know... um, those kind of numbers could go this high. It seemed like the jury was trying to send a bigger message here that even went beyond the Hulk Hogan thing. Is it possible that this just goes on for the next eight years? Yeah, it could, Bill. There could, there, there's, I assume and the Gawker's already indicated it's going to appeal. They're also going to ask for the trial judge to reduce the damages. And so there are several steps where Gawker can get this number reduced by a great deal. But unfortunately for Gawker under Florida law, in order to appeal, they have to post a bond, which could be up to $50 million. Now, it doesn't have to be 50 but it could be under the state law. So that's a big concern because we don't know their financial wherewithal if they can pay something like that. But, yeah, I think this was a message by the jury. It's hard to envision that Hulk Hogan suffered $115 million in damages. I mean, yeah, it was embarrassing. It wasn't good for his career. But where do you go? Where do you go? How do you get to 115 particularly when you think about – what normally is the amount of damages in cases. I mean, when there's a wrongful death case, Bill, when somebody dies because of the negligence of another person, the average award to the family members is three to three and a half million. When you have catastrophic physical injuries, we're usually talking six figures, maybe seven figures, but to get to nine figures, yeah, I think this was a message. I think this is a jury that probably said they're tired of 
maybe online media, the hunt for clicks, and that this was some type of larger deterrent being sent, uh, whether that's the appropriate role of the jury, I think could be questioned. But there's got to be more than Hulk Hogan's embarrassment that gets you to $115 million. Yeah, when you're when you're putting a number like that on the verdict, you're trying to. I'm guessing it seems like you're you're also trying to put Gawker out of business, and I I mean I don't know enough about the legal process to know whether that whether that's legal or not. But um, can a jury put more money on a on a verdict just to make a statement? They can, usually through punitive damages, which is a separate category that hasn't even been determined yet, where punitive damages are about essentially sending a message to the punishment that the underlying conduct was so bad that it warrants more than just making the plaintiff whole again, but really sending a message. That wasn't part of the $115 million. So if they did that, if they were using that $115 million to send a message, it's appropriate for the trial judge under the law to reduce the damages. And the trial judge could also reduce the damage, damages, as, as could the appellate court, if they conclude that the jury was inflamed by passion, that they misunderstood their role. So these are arguments that Gawker is going to make in an attempt to get that number down by a lot. And then the counter argument would be like, you guys played so loosely with the First Amendment for so many years, and you guys use this stuff against certain people for page views and clicks and all that other stuff and you're getting what you deserve would be basically the defense's argument on this, right? Yeah, that's right. So that is the theory that, you know, Hogan is going to say, his lawyers will say, look, the jury has a right to decide what's the appropriate remedy. Hulk Hogan was humiliated. Hulk Hogan, you know, his career was harmed by what occurred. You can't take away the jury's power. The jury consists of the people selected to go among among the population pool for a judge to go in there and tell them they got it wrong. That's not appropriate. So yeah, and, and like you said, it's really about why did Gawker invade the privacy of Hulk Hogan? Gawker has said it's newsworthy to put the video of him having sex with an accompanying story, and it was edited, but clearly the jury didn't buy that. And the problem for Gawker is that they, you know, they, they have a 10, 12, 13-year history of using things to humiliate celebrities. And this tape was another example of that. They, they posted it, you know, whether, whether they thought it was newsworthy or not. I mean, I don't know, but the way it was framed seemed like a way to mock him. And that I think is what the, that's the best thing the defense had going for them, which is like, they did this to mock him. And that's how you end up with a 150 mile an hour verdict. Right. Yeah. And it was mocking, right. It was humiliating, and you're right, they probably figured the people are going to like this. They got, what, two and a half million clicks. So a lot of people did go on to watch it. And they also probably reasoned, if if their legal counsel was even involved with the decision, what counts as newsworthy is really broad. It's hard to, to claim that a news company has published something that isn't the news. It's just there isn't a lot of case precedent. The Supreme Court has made clear uh, almost everything, to some extent, counts as news. And yet this went too far. This was a video of him having sex in a bedroom. I think common sense, good judgment should have led them to decide whether or not it's unlawful or not. It's really not appropriate. So when uh, when that guy, I don't even know if we ever found out, I'm sure, I don't even know if it was a guy, the person who hacked into all the celebrities' iClouds and posted nude, nude photos and nude videos and all that stuff, 
And that was the one time I remember like mainstream blogs were afraid to post any of those pictures, any of those videos. People were talking about it and writing about it in kind of a very detached, afraid to go too far with even saying anything about it. And then it got reported as a news story, like all this, somebody's doing this, how do they stop it? Um, why would people hold back with that, but then not hold back with a Hulk Hogan sex tape? Yeah, one possibility, Bill, is that lawyers wrote them letters saying, you better hold back or we're going to sue you. That could have been part of the discussion. And I think also maybe their own sort of their, their legal counsel played a bigger role in that decision. I wonder with the Gawker, with Gawker putting up the Hogan video, who knows what role, if any, a lawyer had in that decision. They could have just got it and figured, let's put it up, let's, let's edit it down, let's make it more like a news story. I think with what you referenced earlier with the celebrities, the, the leak of all the naked photos, I, I bet in that scenario, and I don't know this as a fact, I bet their lawyers got together and said, we need to communicate to all of the companies that have these, we're going to go aggressive after you, we're going to go after injunctions, and that may have scared them off. So the internet is, has been the wild, wild west basically since it's been created. Now we're at the 20-year mark. Does it feel like this Hulk Hogan situation with Gawker, however it plays out, however many millions of damages it ends up being, is this the end of an era basically for that stuff? Could be. It could be, Bill. I think websites like Gawker are now going to have to think longer about the appropriateness of putting up a video where a celebrity's private activity, however you, way you want to define that, is put up, especially with kids and things like that, that I, I think there is now a chance that there'll be more caution by media companies and putting up private information about celebrities. But I would say they may also say, let's wait and see what happens on the appeal. There's a chance Gawker wins the appeal. There's a chance that an appellate court looks at these issues and disagrees with the jury. The appellate court could say, we find it really inappropriate. We find it gross, all of that. But at the end of the day, Gawker edited the story. They reduced the amount of nudity that was in the video. They tried to frame it as a news story. We're not comfortable, given the First Amendment, to take that power away. So I have a feeling, Bill, before there's sort of that precedent of this case, I think some companies will say, let's see what happens with the appeal. So this is a classic to be continued. I really do feel like this could end up, I think there's a chance this could end up uh, going pretty high because you make a case that this particular verdict and all of the pieces to it are something that maybe the Supreme Court eventually has to decide on. How, what is... What is the right to privacy on the internet versus the traditional media? It doesn't seem like we've totally figured that out yet, right? No, you're right, Bill. And you got to think, the Supreme Court at some point has to take on that issue because for the reasons we just talked about, that there are other issues, related issues that come up with nudity, photos, videos. At some point, I think the Supreme Court needs to provide more clarity on our tradition of newsworthiness, sort of a broad perspective of that, but a perspective that's you know, uh, 40, over 40 years old. Yeah. Uh, that's 45 years old. So it, it, maybe it needs some updating. Yeah. And you also have a bunch of old people on the Supreme Court who maybe uh, they don't understand that this is the world we live in. I mean, even Reddit, like I love Reddit. I, I, I liked Reddit's NBA page a lot. I go there every day. I'll see stuff on Reddit sometimes that, you know, it's posted by somebody and they're telling some story about somebody. You don't know if it's true or not. And, I, like, I don't, is that good? Like, 
I don't know if we've hashed all this stuff out. I want to get to a place where it's being policed better, I guess is my point. Yeah, and and what can we even do in that scenario? What we file a defamation lawsuit? Who knows how long that takes to play out? Like you said, we can't find the person who said it. And even if somehow we win, the damage is already done, right? The, the false story is already out there, and we know that false stories tend to be believed even after they've been disproven. I mean, there have been studies about that, that you can't really remedy the problem. And, and I think the remedy needs to be somehow that information not being permitted in the first place. Uh, quickly, Aaron Andrews, who, uh, who is a friend of mine, so I'm a, you know, I'm going to tread carefully on this one, but she got $55 million for really horrible people thing that happened with, uh, that played out over the last seven years, basically. Um, that number was really high. Are we headed toward a situation where this is going to become a trend with huge numbers for celebrities who are embarrassed by some way? Or is it just two isolated incidents? I think so far it's still two isolated incidents, Bill, but I would say that it does have to be a source of concern for obviously media companies, but in the case of Aaron Andrews, you have a, you have a hotel, right, that, that really did some pretty bad things. I mean, it, yeah. it allowed, right, I mean, you know, it allowed this guy to be in the room next to her. I mean, that, but then the question becomes, okay, they made a mistake. Does it warrant $55 million? And the peeping Tom, half of that's from him, and that money's not going to be paid because I don't, I'm sure he doesn't have much of anything. But the hotel operators are on the hook for – you know, what, $27, $28 million, I, I think it's a fair question to say she clearly suffered harm. How are we getting to that number, right? It's that why is that number so much higher than if a regular person's in a car accident and that person gets, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in a case or, God forbid, somebody dies? Again, we're looking at three to three and a half million on average in a wrongful death case for an adult male and female. So, you know, this is sort of the argument that people have for for what's called tort reform, right? That let's put caps on damages. That has its own set of problems because then you have situations where the caps aren't fair. Uh, it could be that we're, we're getting to a stage where celebrities, you know, are treated very differently by juries. But I think at this point, let's wait and see. Let's see what happens with these cases on appeal as well. I mean, it, both of those verdicts may not hold up on appeal. My my instinct though is that the Aaron Andrews case is stronger because you have. To me, clearly negligible conduct. This isn't about newsworthiness. This is about privacy and invasion of privacy and the duties of a hotel to make sure that its guests are being uh, adequately safeguarded from those around them. Is there a case coming up that relates to sports either uh, in a profound way or tangential way that you feel like is going to be um, as as uh, that generate as much interest as, say, the Flakegate did or even the Hulk Hogan Gawker thing? I think, Bill, if one of these NCAA cases gets to the Supreme Court, whether it's the O'Bannon case, whether it's the Jenkins case, which is being brought by Tom Brady's lawyers, Jeffrey Kessler and David Greenspan, I think if one of those cases gets to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court has to decide, what are we talking about with college athletes? Should they be paid, either for their licensing or for some type of wage? To me, that could be a game changer, and that would attract a lot of interest because it's going to affect schools across the country. Now, it hasn't yet happened, but I think, Bill, if we see a case, one of those cases get to the Supreme Court, that's going to be huge because it could radically change the way we watch college sports and change the way schools fund college sports as well.
Well, unfortunately, if it gets to the Supreme Court, we're only going to have eight people on the Supreme Court for the next 17 <laughs> years as they as they hash out all that stuff. Uh, Michael McCann, I'm glad we finally did this. I'm, I'm making you uh, the unofficial legal expert of the Bill Simmons podcast. That is awesome. Thanks, right. Bill. Thanks for it's great to great to, to chat on us. All right. And what's your Twitter handle, by the way, so people can follow you? It's McCann Sports Law. Okay. There you go. Uh, thank you, Michael McCann. Thanks, Bill. All right. Thanks to Joe House. Don't forget to check out House's podcast. Sta- that, that, what's House's? Oh, Shack House. Can't even get the name right. Shack House starting this week. Get ready for Shack House. It's going to be good. I'm telling you. People like golf. People want a golf podcast. So we're going to give one to you. Thanks to Sling TV. It's the best way to watch games live for just 20 bucks a month. You get more than 20 live channels, including TNT, TBS, and True TV, the March Madness channels. No installation, no extra gear, no annual contracts. You only need an internet connection. Start your seven-day free trial at sling.com slash Simmons for just $20 a month. Restrictions apply. Thanks to Simply Safe, they'll give you 24-7 award-winning protection for just $14.99 a month. No contracts, no hidden fees. Start or cancel service when it works for you. Studies show that security systems deter burglars at a rate at 90% for a home security you can trust. SimplySafeBill.com. You save 10% with that. Thanks to HBO Now. You don't need cable or satellite to watch HBO anymore. Download the HBO Now app and start your free one-month trial today. Next week, The Ringer will be announcing something that we're doing with HBO Now. Be ready for that. Thanks to SeatGeek, the presenting sponsor of the BS Podcast and Channel 33. And uh, thanks to The Ringer. Sign up for our free newsletter, The Ringer. Talk to you later in the week. We about this bitch. Anytime y'all want to see me again, rewind this track right here, close your eyes, and picture me rolling.